Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal. From my Warwick home on a Thursday night, I am joined, as always, by my co-conspirator, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence. Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how we living? Here we go, Bill. Here, here. we go. We're here. Here we go. We've arrived. We're here. We've arrived. We've arrived. We are at the date that we've had circled on the calendar since the Big East schedule was released in men's basketball. And of course, we're talking about Georgetown visiting Providence on Saturday afternoon. Ed Cooley's return to his home city. Um, this podcast will will heavily focus on the Friars, that matchup, the history leading into it, where we think this might go on Saturday and where we think it might go beyond that. Uh, some folks are going to be out of the show. Sorry. This is the headliner. Uh, this is a game that has been hotly anticipated both by Providence fans and by casual fans. Uh, I know my parents have asked me about this. They don't have any particular <laughs> allegiance to you know, any teams in the state, but I was with them uh, the other day. My my uh, had a nice occasion for my family. My brother was promoted to lieutenant on the Pawtucket Fire Department. Um, you know, so proud of that guy. Awesome. Who he is. Awesome. He's, He's such a better person than I am and and than I'll ever be. Uh, and and I couldn't be happier about that because all you want as an older sibling is for the younger ones to be better. And and he is in, in every way. Um, but even at a family occasion, my dad says, so, you ready for Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't go to all Providence, right. isn't a Providence fan, isn't a college basketball fan in general, doesn't really have a, a loyalty to one or two teams. But uh, – you know, my parents are, are very much my barometer in that way. And and this has crossed into pop culture in, in Rhode Island, of course, um, you know, with the return of Ed Cooley. Uh, Providence is off a 67-63 win at Seton Hall on Wednesday night. The Friars still have real stakes here, Coit, uh, even without Bryce Hopkins. And and even, you know, as they sit here thinking about the, this matchup, uh, you know, that the fans, casual folks, highly anticipate the Friars are right on the fringes of the NCAA tournament field as we sit here. It's a game they need to win, um, you know, if they hope to reach March. Uh, but certainly a lot of this is is going to be about the uh, the side themes going in. Well, and I think that the, the hype is now getting larger again uh, because of the results of this week and what happened. That's huge. The fact that the Friars go on the road and they earn – it's a huge win against Seton Hall. It, it is huge to go out there. It's a quad one victory on the road. Those are so, so, so valuable. And even I just sort of peeked at – I know it's always – it's ever-changing, but I peeked at Joe Lenardi today, and he had Providence as one of the first four out in the tournament. Win like last night bumps them right back into the field as one of the last four in. That's what that kind of victory does for you, and it's going to age really, really well. So, and the, and the fact that the Friars are able to to pick that up and get back to even in the Big East, they've won two straight now. The way that they did it, playing really well in the second half, stepping forward, getting physical, getting tough, it, it was a really, really nice feather in the cap for the coaching staff to get this team, you know, really trending back in the right direction. After a week off, too. I mean, it was a tough schedule following the injury to Bryce Hopkins. 
practice maybe one or two days, you play. Practice maybe one or two days, you play. You're still trying to figure things out on the fly. You had a chance to sort of catch your breath a little bit and maybe get a few practices where you're like, okay, see how this thing's been working so far. See how this rotation works here. See how this guy's progressing. See how this is going. And what you put on the floor, particularly in the second half against Seton Hall, was really impressive. And it tells me it's a group that can really rally uh, around each other when Kim sort of spoke about it halftime. They figured out, okay, this is the kind of game that we have going on right now. It's physical. It's tough. The whistles were swallowed a little bit. Kim found that out the hard way, taking his first tech <laughs> near the end of the first half. Mm -hmm. um, and they came out of the locker room. And even when Seton Hall took the lead, his team from the under 12 on really stepped forward. So it's huge. And it just it adds to the hype of this game. Because it's funny. When we were on the radio show, Scott Cordishi and I, last Saturday, we mentioned the PC Georgetown game coming up. And Scott asked me the question straight up right away. He's like, has it lost a little bit of the hype? And I said to him, I said, you know what, Scott, at this point, a slight bit. I think so because of the way things had trended and played out the last few weeks for Providence. Because I think Providence fans, beginning of the year, particularly as the, the season was starting and Big East play was starting, they looked at this game on the schedule and said, Friars by a million. Friars by 30. I'll, I, I, I exaggerate with a million. Friars by 30. Now I think maybe it's Friars by 13 instead of 30. You know, I say that maybe because of the movie title. That's why that pops into my head. But, but I think now that things have played out the way they have the last couple weeks and having some success, Bill, I think winning by 13 is okay because you're building a resume again. You're moving in the right direction, and you like the way that this team is looking and how connected they seem to be becoming here going forward. Coming into the year, it's we have Bryce. This is going to be a coronation. We're going to slaughter yep. them. They're exactly. Going to in, they're going to come in here and be fed to the Lions at the end. And then Bryce gets hurt, and Georgetown plays Connecticut relatively competitively on the road. And Georgetown loses by one at Xavier, a team that came in here and punked Providence without Bryce Hopkins. And now you start to think of the incomprehensible. Could we really lose to Ed Cooley on our home floor? Is that really going to happen? And once you start thinking that, you don't want to hype the matchup that much. Nope. You don't want to talk about it as much because you're not as certain of the outcome. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be a coronation, a celebration. You're thinking, oh, man. What could happen here? All of a sudden, this entered, you know, the scenarios we might lose. Um, and I think a lot of that is is overstatement by Fire fans. I think a lot of that is is just out of natural fear. I, I don't think any there's any realistic chance they could lose this game. You know, Georgetown's a single-digit percentage in terms of winning on Ken Palm. Um, Providence still the much better team at home, much better roster much further along with their program. Yeah. Um, you know, the 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 only the only thing that would would slow them down is, you know, that sort of irrational fear that fans have that oh no, we could lose. You're going to be okay in this one. You're going to win the game. You should win the game. That's that's should the way it's going to pan out with Bryce without Bryce. Uh, but I think that's probably part of it. 
and and I think you and Scott hit on that and and were right about that. Um, I think Providence's win the other night. You down ten in the second half. You got a little bit of a gift with Seton Hall not having Kadari Richmond. And to be fair, Providence took advantage of that. It's what you need to do. You know, if you're if you're granted good fortune, take advantage of it. And in the second half, you had two guys who really didn't show up in the first half who were big factors. Jaden Pierre had all of his 11 points in the second half. And Josh Aduro had 12 of his 16. And and too much in the first half, you had Devin Carter and, and Ticket Gaines playing alone. And the rest of this roster just... They can't be observers. They need to be participators. And, and in the second half, I think you saw much more of a group effort by the Friars, and, and they were rewarded with really gritty road win, quadrant one that's going to carry all the way to Selection Sunday. And just they they adjusted to what the game was, you could tell. And, and Kim said as much. You know, they really, when they realized that the whistles were being swallowed, that it was going to be physical, I think it, I, I think that was sort of the halftime message was all right guys, you know not to sound cliche but put your hard hats on and go to work. That that's basically what what they had to do, and they stopped looking around and saying how come that's getting called down here and it's not getting called down here whatever. They stopped that because they knew all right well this is the way the game's going so either we adjust to it and we play to it and we toughen up and we show our toughness, or we lose this game, and. I think you mentioned two guys, but Josh to me was was huge, and he showed a he showed a bite. You know that that highlight reel play, the spin and the dunk was like ooh for a guy that's you know he's a mature guy. He is a not saying it's an immature thing, but just he's a mature guy. He's an older guy, a veteran guy on your roster. To see he's usually pretty even keeled. To see that kind of bark out of him was like, ooh, ooh, very, ooh. very cool, suave, deep voice. Exactly. No, yeah. Yes. He's yeah. a very even keeled guy. Yep. And so to see that a little bit, I'm like, I think they needed to play that way. They needed to do that. And so it was one of those, I, I think maybe Providence is adjusting its identity a little bit too, because I think it has to. I think it has to have a little bit more of that and get a little bit more physical and tougher and play those kinds of games because you lost a good bit of offense with Bryce Hopkins going off the floor and you can find it from different sources, but now you really have to hang your hat defensively. And Providence did that. And the Friars were able to turn turnovers into points uh, Devin Carter is obviously the lead guy when it comes to that, but I thought, I thought Ticket played really well in the defensive end. Had to adjust and play in different places. I thought Josh played tougher on the defensive end that second half. Everybody played a part. Everybody played a part. And Slim Castro, again, I think is he's he's taken on a little bit more, showing a little bit more. Everybody's got to do that. So. I think it was a really nice sign of progress. And, you know, the second part of that that discussion Scott Cradishi and I had last weekend was, yeah, but if they are able to, you know, go to Seton Hall and, you know, if they're able to win that game, plus once we get closer to the Georgetown game, that hype that we said maybe lost a little bit is going to pick right back up. And here we are hours out from the game and it's picking back up. 
Yeah, here we are, twelve thirty tip on the Big Fox on Saturday. Georgetown visiting Providence. Ed Cooley returning. Uh, Coit, you and I were both in Greensboro in March, the last game that Ed Cooley coached with Providence, an NCAA tournament loss against Kentucky. Um, there was open speculation in the air by that point about whether or not he would leave. Uh, Georgetown had moved to fire Patrick Ewing. Uh, the previous week, we were in New York. We were out in the bars with with folks who were going to the Big East tournament, media members who were covering the Big East tournament, and you know the big speculation at the time was: Is Georgetown going to make a run at Ed? And if they do, would he leave? Um, you know, and it became more and more real over time. It, it was sort of a slow motion pursuit. It felt like over the last two months of the season, um, and ultimately came to pass. You know, there in in that you know that mid March period. Um, yeah, it's still no less shocking, I think, as as I sit here today talking to you about this, that Ed Cooley's not coaching the Friars. I, I think it's just something that you saw as forever. Um, you know, and, and the way he had this program going, uh, you know, the 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 highlights that he had had in recent years, you know, winning the school's first regular season Big East title and going to the Sweet 16 for the first time in 25 years and being a national coach of the year, you, you felt like he was about to enter a second phase of, of this. Um, you know, the first 10 years have been hard work and graft and building and rebuilding and modernizing. Um, and the second 10 years had started off with some glory that, that the program hadn't experienced either ever or in a real long time. And it felt like there was more there to be maximized. And, and ultimately, uh, Ed Cooley, for reasons that he only knows himself, decided that he'd had enough and that he was going to move on to Georgetown and start over. And it's just fascinating still to me, um, you know, sociologically and psychologically to study this. Um, Cooley's decision, Providence's decision going forward to hire Kim, uh, Providence's fan base and their reaction, uh, the general reaction around the Big East uh, and within college basketball circles, whether it's media, fan bases, or, or otherwise. Um just so many different directions that that you could go with this. It really is uh, one of the more interesting games that that I think I'll cover in in my career going into Saturday. It is, and when we talk about the actual game itself, I mean, you just said it. Like you expect Providence to win where they are as a program, talent wise, on the floor. You expect them to win. That's not the part of the game that really appeals. It's it's the the pregame walk out of the tunnel. Ed walking out and looking around and hearing a chorus of loud and emotional boos. He's going to hear that. It, it's it's wild. It's wild to think of what it's going to sound like, what it's going to look like when two years ago we're on the floor and you want us to talk about boos. Booze was sticking to my shoes as I'm out there with a camera and Ed is... Right, being hailed by this Providence fan base at its peak when they're hoisting the Big East regular season championship trophy, and right. they're about to go on that Sweet Sixteen run, and they took Kansas. You know, the lead over Kansas was six minutes to go. The eventual national champions in the Sweet Sixteen game, and everything. And we, it was we talked about. It's interesting you bring up the, you know, the first decade, the first ten years. I mean, I, I think we started talking about Bill. Ed Cooley on the path of like a Jay Wright at Villanova where sort of the similar thing. I mean, that it took 
a lot of time for right to really experience that Villanova national championship national brand success. Yeah. It took a while. Yeah. And once they hit it, you know, they hit an- another benchmark, more recruits getting into the top 50 more and more, more consistently, all that, you know, it, it turned into what it turned into. And I think we were talking about that path with, with Cooley. And, you know, we're talking about this guy who had a key to the city, his hometown, a guy that when we walk outside the, the practice facility, there's statues of Dave Gavitt and Joe Mullaney and Ed Cooley's statue is going to be right next to them someday at the practice facility. Yeah. That's where this was heading. Yeah. And then he makes the decision to give all that up. I mean, that that is, it's, it's tough to describe it. It's tough to give it a word. I keep saying wild, but it is. It's wild. It's, it's unique. It's different. And, and that's why it's such a unique environment. And not to pick on him, um, but I heard uh, the former UNC basketball player, John Henson, on Field of 68. I saw yep. that video. He's like, I, I don't understand why Providence fans don't, don't have more grace in this situation. It's like, I, no offense, dude. You're a good player. I, it's nothing against you. I'm not trying to attack you. But like, if you weren't here and you didn't see it and you didn't experience it and you didn't feel it, you don't get it. You don't, you don't get why this is so unique and emotional and why he's going to feel the booze. He's going to feel the anger. Yeah. And the, it, it's, yeah, you just don't get it if you're saying that. That's why this is going to, because I think, I think there are people out there that someday when we are years removed and Cooley's career is done coaching, there are, I think, going to be some people that turn around and and are grateful but for what he did here but you know how far does that go either too right like you're shaking your head at me i think for some people it goes forever uh, for some people absolutely I, I oh, think for some, some people, people within oh, the yeah. fan base who will never get over oh totally 100% 100% but i i do think there's some people that will turn around and feel that way but even then it's i don't know and it just the way that it happened you know i think i think a lot of the fans that you're talking about on that side are they feel like they got robbed of another chance at a tournament run right you know because they felt like the the late season swoon was directly related to what was going on with georgetown we don't know how early contact was made ed claims it wasn't until the day after that's sorry. That's really, really hard to believe. Yep. Um, you just that those that stuff doesn't happen in forty eight hours. Nope. Even if it wasn't him himself, it was an agent. It was conversations there. It just yeah, you know that that stuff doesn't happen overnight like that. So yeah, this is um all a long way of saying this is a really really unique situation and environment we're going to be walking into on Saturday and. As we're getting closer to it, it feels more and more real, and you wonder more and more what it's going to sound like and feel like. Well, it's so deeply personal because he leaves a winner for a loser. He leaves one conference rival for another. He's the first coach ever to do that in Big East men's basketball. 
go from yeah. one program directly to another. Uh, and when it's Providence and you have something established, something better than you've had over an extended period, you know, in maybe 40 years, you know, since Dave Gavitt was coaching in the seventies, um, it's something that you desperately want to hang on to. And, and Providence did for a long time. Uh, they fended off Michigan, uh, among other schools. They extended Ed Cooley multiple times. They built a practice facility. They're funding the program on a level with, with every other school in the league. Um, there is everything you need there to win, and it is better than it ever has been uh, at Providence. That job is better than it ever has been. Um, and so trying to square that with him moving to Georgetown, which is a loser, 2-37 and 37 in the Big East in Patrick Ewing's last two years, one NCAA tournament last decade, and that was a fluke. Uh, you know, Big East tournament title during COVID times with restricted admissions and, you know, games being played in front of nobody, a complete fluke. Um, you think, why would he go there? Why would mm. he trade all that he's built for the dog years of aging in, in rebuilding? You know, the hardest thing to do as a coach is to lose. And to go to the building every night knowing that you are going to lose, regardless of what you do in practice, what your record was before, how accomplished you were before. I remember having that conversation with Dan Hurley uh, mm. a few times while he was at URI, and he said, the hardest thing ever is to rebuild. He said, if, if I ever take another job, it is not going to be at a place bottom of the league, and, and I'm going to have to try to dig myself out and, and claw my way to the top of the conference. It's going to be a place that's ready-made to win. Like a lot of Providence fans look at Georgetown and they say, that's not that type of place, certainly not anymore. No. In Ed's case, the coaching fraternity thinks differently. They're always enticed by adulation, one, having their ego stroked, very powerful thing. And two, it's a possibility. When you look at Georgetown, it's the biggest endowment in the league. It's a great area to recruit. John Thompson's one of Ed Cooley's personal heroes. The opportunity to, to resurrect his legacy on that campus, all that's very powerful. It's a very powerful sales pitch. Uh, and specific to Ed Cooley, it, it's personalized sales pitch. Um, mm. Lee Reed, naked in his ambition, Georgetown's athletic director. Uh, Steve Napolillo, I credit him. He said all the right things publicly. Privately, I would imagine he has a harsh word for Lee Reed because – any sort oh. of sense of collaboration, collegiality in that league. They broke off from the football powers and said, we're going to do it alone. It's going to be all about basketball. We're going to do it together. Lee Reed betrayed that in one move. He did something that previously would have only been associated with the SEC or the Big Ten or the ACC. He went after another team's coach. Um, I give Steve a lot of credit for the way he's handled this publicly. I give Steve a lot of credit for landing his number one target after Ed left in Kim English. Um, and I would say that Friar fans at this point sort of want to have it both ways. They they want Kim to be very successful. They want Kim to be better than Ed. Um, but they're also not necessarily sure that that's going to happen, I would imagine, because a significant portion of them wanted to keep Ed and, and are yeah. still hurt that he left. You can't have it both ways. You either have one guy coach you or you have the other guy coach you. Uh, and right now, Kim English is your coach. Um, so I, it's it's a lot, it's a lot of feelings jumbled there. Um, it's a lot of of assessing both jobs, where they were at last March, 
not where they could be or where they've traditionally been. And I think that is more the view that coaches take in a professional sense. Now, once you want to transition over to the personal side, uh, you know, Ed Cooley saying, I need a change. I, I've lived in Providence my whole life. I was born and raised here. My daughter's going to graduate from Georgetown. She wants to stay there. Narice and I want to experience something different, live in a different city. That's what he said. It feels like you know, it's a very polished sort of presentation from him. Sure. Um, but there isn't necessarily anything out there to to refute that that's credible. You know, it, it, all the rumors on social media and on message boards and whatever else can't corroborate those. You know, what, what we use, and I would ask you, Coyd, I'm going to pitch this back to you to put your journalism professor hat on. Um, the only way that you can go with something like that, some sort of outside motive for a public figure, a coach, to leave a job, you need to have some sort of police report, some sort of civil court filing, some sort of firsthand account before you can go public with, this is the reason why Ed Cooley left Providence. Um Absent any of those things, and we don't have any, all you can do is take his word for it and try to assess it from a professional perspective as you look at it as someone who covers college basketball. I think you said it very well, Bill. I think you said it very well. Um, the words I use are responsible and credible. And I use the word credible to say that anything that is credible to cite any sort of rumor would then allow for something responsible to be reported or put out there or anything like that. Otherwise, I also use the word credible because I say that you lose your credibility as a responsible and professional journalist. And I also put human side person in there too. Sure. It's just if you're if you're gonna go somewhere personal with somebody, you better be darn sure you're right and ready to go that direction. Mm. And so anything other than that is irresponsible. And quite frankly, you just you just don't go there. Um and look, you do your you do your due diligence. Um there's been due diligence done. Uh, I'll just say that. And that's that, you know, and then you move on. Um, you know, in, in terms of this, you know, this whole story, you, you mentioned the job back in March, Bill. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting to me. Uh, taking the Georgetown job, they really, and I guess this is going to sound like a, you know, punch back at Georgetown and, you know, if any Hoya fans are listening to this, it's like, whatever. They lie and, and they lean on their history. They sure. lean on it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it will be interesting. We've seen Ed build up a program and he's got a top 20 recruiting class coming in next year. And I'm sure he'll hit the transfer portal hard as well. And I expect in two, three years, Georgetown's going to compete in the Big East Absolutely. because I've seen. I've seen Ed and that staff do the work that it's done. He did it here. He was he in the NCAA tournament by year three. The thing that I ask is, will he ever get Georgetown to that, that real sense of 
I, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but that that connection, that that thing that he had going with Providence. Right. Because because if George say Georgetown is successful again. Is Georgetown from the 80s ever going to be Georgetown from the 80s again? No, no, it's not. And so if you want to be a successful program, I think Georgetown needs to not just lean on its history, but also realize that the landscape and the great programs that are out there, that's all different now from when Georgetown was Georgetown under, under Big John. Right. When, they, when they had Patrick playing. Like all that, it was different. The thing I equate it to, Bill, is I covered Maine hockey my first small market job. To me, when I was up there, there was this feeling of they really lean on their history. They lean on the 90s when it was them and Boston University with Jack Parker. And then around them, it was, you know, Lake Superior State out here and other programs out here and whatever. But, you know, around the time I was there about 10, 12 years ago, they let go of their coach, Tim Whitehead, at the time because they still had that expectation that, well, we're main hockey, national championship main hockey. We're going to be that. The Nobody Sean touches State, us. Right. Sean, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's not the case anymore. Right. And, you know, I think that program needed to realize that Hockey East, the league that it's in, everybody's good everybody's invested to get up to that level to be national championship programs. Providence with Nate Lehman won a national championship in 2015. Yep. Boston college got up there with Jerry York, like all that, it all got risen up. And so, you know, that's the interesting thing to me is when Ed Cooley takes a job like that, that really leans on its history. Will it ever be that again? I don't know. And that was why it was so, Interesting. Now, if Georgetown's successful, they've got the resources, they can get the program going again, but just leaning on its history, it's not, you can't do that anymore. You need to. And so maybe Ed is the right hire for that because he's been able to build up a program like that. Will it ever have that Providence connection again? I don't, I don't think so. But just mentioning the history part of it too, because I actually think Maine hockey's top 10 this year and they have a good young coach. And I think they've sort of, finally moved away from the history and leaning on that thing. And, oh, we're 1993 and, oh, we're going to get Paul Correa and we're going to do all that. And I think they're starting to, you know, start humming again and, and realize that there are other programs out there and it's not just us that can be really successful in the league. I mean, you have to think about Georgetown at that time. Um, you know, Michael Wilbon, I think, said this. I know Kevin McNamara said this. Georgetown was Black America's college basketball team. Uh, totally. We're we're one generation removed at that point from civil rights. Yeah. You know, in the sixties. You know, you're in the eighties. It's only twenty years later. Um, and Big John was just so strong, such a great leader. Um, you know, spoke for causes that were more important than just his players or his team or his university. Um, you know, was unapologetic while doing it. Uh you know, was was brilliant while doing it. Um, you know, someone who who you know largely went through the first part of his academic career here. He was a Providence undergrad, uh, of course, um, and, and right. a great player with the Friars. Um, 
know, but he in that program just became a symbol, I think, of, of possibility for so many people. I know it was for Ed Cooley. Uh, I know Georgetown came in here in the 80s at one point, and uh, they had shoot around at, at Central High School the morning of a game, and, and Ed Cooley happened to find his way into that gym. Um, you know, he was one of the best players in the state at the time with Central. And, you know, he'd said, I, I don't know how many times while he was here, John Thompson, John Chaney, Nolan Richardson, those were the three guys who he saw on TV who looked like him. Yeah. He gave him that sense of possibility that, hey, if it doesn't work out and I don't play in the NBA and I'm probably not going to because I'm 6'4 and slow, uh, that I could be a coach and, and be successful in that way and still work in basketball and make that my career, my profession. Um, so big John obviously holds a huge place in, uh, in his formative years and, and in his mind. And I know he got to know him later in life. And, you know, one of the things John Thompson would tell Ed Cooley was, I'm so proud of what you've done with my program, mm-hmm. um, you know, with my alma mater. Uh, and you would imagine if, if big John was still here, he would say, I'm so proud that you're coaching the program that I built in, in the seventies mm-hmm. and in the eighties. Um, you know, how he ended up there. Who knows? I mean, we all have our own motivations. We all make our own decisions for for certain reasons. Um, I do know this, that that Ed and any other coach who was one to that level, they all have massive egos. They all like to be stroked in a certain way. Ed losing five times in his first NCAA tournament game and hearing about that, you know, Ed running the flex offense and, and all the grumbling about that and you know, Ed's recent inability, his his uh, his failures in freshman recruiting, to, to be blunt, um, you know, within the last four or five years at Providence. Maybe he thought, why don't I hit the refresh button on this? If I go to the NCAA tournament at Georgetown within the next three years, they're going to love me. If I bring in a top 20 recruiting class, they're going to love me. They haven't done mm-hmm. that in a while here. At Providence, that's just the expectation. They take that as routine now. Yes, we're going to make the tournament. Yes, we're going to recruit well. Yes, we're going to get guys out of the portal. Georgetown, he will be freshly hailed in that way. Mm -hmm. That fulfillment, that stroking, that sort of cachet that comes with new winning, breaking through. He hasn't felt like that at Providence in a long time. Outside of the regular season and going to the Sweet 16, maybe winning another regular season title, another conference tournament title, playing deeper into March. The accomplishments that would give him that feeling are so much higher now at Providence. They're so much more lofty goals than they would have been before. The start of his tenure, it's, hey, you made the NCAA tournament. That's great. Hey, we're filling up the building. That's great. Those are hard things to do in their own right. Now you're being asked to do more. And maybe you think, I don't necessarily know if I have more to give here. Let's start fresh somewhere else where they're going to love me, like they did at the start here. Georgetown's only too happy to start over in that way. And Providence, I think, by hiring Kim, I also think you have someone who's more aligned with Steve Napolillo with respect to where their careers are. Sure. Ed had already been in the department for a decade before Steve was promoted to replace Bob Driscoll. Ed was Bob's hire. And that's not to say that Steve and Ed didn't have a good working relationship. They did. And and they do. And I don't necessarily think that Steve blames Ed as much as he blames Lee Reed for what happened here. Totally. Um, but I do think that that Steve, 
being in his second year as the athletic director, and Kim coming into really his first high-profile job in his mid-30s. I think there's much more of an opportunity for those two men to grow together on the same parallel tracks as there might have been with Steve and with Ed. Totally. Great point. Great point. Um, and that's that's the that's the whole interesting part here is that you know providence is we've we've got a freshness a newness uh, a feeling to the program this year and and the job that kim walks into is let's face it and friar fans know this and maybe they don't want to admit it in the next 72 hours um as we've mentioned here with their feelings we're talking about bill we're talking a lot about feelings today but Ed Cooley made the Providence job better and made it really easy for Kim to walk into a program and hand the keys over and turn on the ignition and know that he's got a pretty good engine that he's driving. Yeah. Really good engine. Yeah. Ed Ed Cooley did that. Yeah. He did. And Kim will say as much. He said, I'm thankful for that. He's said it over and over. Ed Ed Uh, and the administration combined did a great job here. They really did. They did. They did. And so that's, and it's because of Ed's exit, as we know, it's just, it's galvanized. I mean, it is, the Friars have never been hotter around here. They are galvanized behind Kim. And even if Kim has had some, you know, or goes through some struggles as a coach, I think he's getting, he's going to have a longer rope because people are behind him. They're invested in him. They're so invested and galvanized behind the program. So, you know, that, that part's so, so interesting to me. And, you know, I still thinking about the, the history point I was making with, with Ed and, and ultimately when, if, and when Ed has success at Georgetown, you know, I think that the reason I bring up the history thing is ultimately, will he ever have that kind of following and I don't know, euphoria is not the right word, but like. Will he ever reach that stage that he reached with Providence when he's standing in the middle of the floor and hoisting the Big East regular season title? And I mean, if he wins a even if he wins a national championship, will it be the same as John Thompson hoisting that trophy back in the eighties? I mean, it's it's much it's much harder to grab that piece of the spotlight in Washington D.C. than it is in Providence. That's what I'm saying. You're exactly. competing with the president and the seat of power in the United States. Uh, senators and Congress and and whoever else, um, it's much more difficult to take that piece of the cultural zeitgeist and and lead it like he did at Providence and be the number one story and the number one headline. Much much more difficult. Well, you can see it with the fan base right now down there too. It, they're not showing up in big huge numbers yet, and nope. Ed is trying to get them to come out to be there. And you hear down there a little bit like well once you win we'll get there yeah, it's, it's not a another. thing it's not a yeah, thing right yet. right but right. they, they got to make it that that's right and with a couple recruiting classes with the transfer portal again ed and his staff have done this before you feel like it's going to happen again you know but even when they reach that euphoric stage and get to that glory Will it be the same? That was that's such the interesting part to me. You have all the resources in the world. You have the the high ceiling, all those things that make the Georgetown job, as we talked about in the past, attractive. We ever get to that stage like he was with Providence, where he basically he gave up a 
a future statue of himself outside the building. I mean, it, it, it was a divorce. It was a breakup. It's it's whatever you want to term it. Um, and I think yeah. when you go through something like that, personally, you, you wonder, am I ever going to find love again? Um, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, the, the hope is that you do. Um, but as, as people will tell you, have been through it and, and been successful enough to find somebody else, they'll tell you, yes, you will, but it'll be different. Yeah. It'll be a different kind. It, it may be better. It may be worse. You don't know. Um, you but don't it, know. It, but it will be different in a way. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if, 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 and I'll say when he wins at Georgetown, uh, it'll be different than, than winning here. Um, mm-hmm. certainly I, I don't think there's any way around that, uh, whether he's more fulfilled, more satisfied by it. We'll ask him then. That's only for him to determine. Of yeah, course. That's up to him. I, I can't answer that question. You can't, you know, nope. Ke- Kevin Mack, who, who covered, Cooley throughout his tenure year and, and and the Friars 15 years before that, he can't answer that question either. You know, it's... well, and that's the interesting thing. And and you know, Kevin, I think, wrote a little bit about maybe Ed's frustration with not you mentioned all the tournament one and dones. And mm-hmm. when he got to that point, it sounded like Ed was frustrated with he felt like he brought in the right talent, he had the right guys on the floor to win in those tournament games. And maybe at times he felt like he was overpowered or overmatched. His guys were overmatched in the tournament with some of the talent that these other programs were putting out there. And was that part of his decision to go and say, like, well, I want to get I want to get those guys in my Big East program. Can I get them at Providence? And the interesting thing is this second decade, if he was to spend the whole time there at Providence, I think he was about to crack that. Yeah. By winning a Big East regular season title, getting to the Sweet 16, because he follows that up by grabbing Bryce Hopkins from Kentucky and Devin Carter from South Carolina, and that was the that was the interesting thing there, right. and that's why there's a lot of there's a lot of factors. It's not just one factor. I think there were a lot of factors in Ed Cooley leaving Providence, but that was an interesting thing to sort of take away from, you know, Kevin Mack and his you know discussion as to the reasons why he. He left, you know, and that's that's so interesting to me. And I, I think somebody like him's going to aim for the sky. He's already doing that with some of his recruits and guys that he's going to try to bring in. And, you know, and Ed will do that, too. And maybe he feels like he can aim even higher at Georgetown. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's the gap is closer than it once was. And that's Ed Cooley's doing. Well, you go back to history, and and here it is. I mean, Providence losing to Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. It, it was an eight point game, but Coit, you and I were in the building. It, it wasn't necessarily that close. Um, yeah. Kentucky had dudes in that game. They had Sheepway. Sheepway. This is Sheepway, a perfect example. Jacob Toppin, mm-hmm. uh, Antonio Reeves, Casey Wallace. They they had five or six guys who Providence can't recruit. And they treated Bryce Hopkins in that game like some guy they cast off to do better. And Jacob Toppin had a much better game than Bryce did in, in that one. That was his matchup. There, there's just no two ways of putting it. Um, if you run the numbers, Providence against teams, non-conference opponents, teams who are not currently in their league, who have won multiple national titles. Providence is 12-36 and 36 all time. Georgetown 27-32. and 32. Wow. Against UConn. Louisville and Villanova, three teams who at times have been in and out of the Big East. Providence all time coming into this season was 80 and 129. Georgetown was 90 and 89. So wow. Prov- 
So Georgetown has been, over decades, on much more level footing with the power brokers in college basketball than Providence has been. Will it be that way in the next 20 years? Don't know. Was it that way last season, the last five years? Certainly not. No. You would have taken Providence over Georgetown in a heartbeat. Of course. In a heartbeat, and you would have taken their immediate future over Georgetown's in a heartbeat. Um, and so that is why, you know, that's one of the many reasons why you look at this and it was so curious. Um, you know, but Ed Cooley and any coach like Ed would look at Georgetown and say, I can change it. I'm the one to fix it. I'm the one who's going to do better there. I'm the guy who's going to win there and restore this. Um, you know, and there are no fewer than a handful of coaches, I'm sure, who felt that way about Georgetown. Um, you know, you you hear that discussion all the time with with certain jobs. Uh, you know, you heard it around UCLA before Mick Cronin took that job. Um, yeah. UCLA tried to hire at least three or four other guys in their last two cycles who, who didn't work out. Mick Cronin got them back in the Final Four. He's struggling right now. UCLA is not what they were in the 70s, of course. But Southern California, just throw a rock. You're going to hit a four- or five-star recruit. Um, you've got tradition. You've got Westwood. You've got the Lakers right up the street. Uh, I mean, you know, tradition's a hard thing to kill. It just is. You know, and and these kids who who Mick and, and who Ed are recruiting right now, you know, they don't really know a time when Georgetown was was a power. You know, they live right. for that, certainly. But you can sell them on possibility as much as you were sold on, on possibility. And, and that's what Ed is going to be pitching at this point. And, and it's obviously working because he's got a couple guys on this roster. Jaden Epps, a really good player who was committed to Providence, who spent one year at Illinois, um, you know, who will be one of the best players in the Big East next year should he return with Georgetown. Um, and the recruiting class he's got coming in, I mean, he's up against other schools in the conference for those guys. They're three- and four-star guys, top 100 recruits, top 75 recruits. Those guys have talent. There, there's no way. Uh, Brown University fan of the game who made a three-pointer, Kayvon Mulready. <laughs> Kayvon Mulready. <laughs> nice job, Brown marketing staff. You gave Ray some free swag to a kid I going to Still, I still can't get over that one. I couldn't believe it. I turn around. People who don't know the story. So I've had, we're covering one of the Brown games, non-conference. I think it was near the holidays. And I've seen Cave on a couple places, a couple yeah. different games. And yeah. he shows up to this Brown game. And, you know, one of the marketing people, I think it was one of the marketing interns, grabs him out of the crowd and says, like, hey, you want to do the, the shooting contest, three-point shooting contest? I think you want a gift card or something like that. So he walks out there, and I, I turn around. I think I had just done my sideline hit, and I see Kayvon Mulready out there, and I hear the PA announcer go, and let's give it up for our fan of the, the game, Kayvon! Let's let's give him a cheer! He's got to make a three to make the thing, and so he's looking at the crowd, and he's cheering him on like, yeah, I'm going to make this three, guys. I'm, this is stealing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he makes a three, and he's, he's cheering him on, whatever, and I'm like, that's great. He's the fan, fan of the game! And I told them later, I told the marketing team, I'm like, you guys do realize he's committed to go play at Georgetown for Cooley, right? They're like, Oh, yeah, we didn't know that. It was like, well, here you go. <laughs> yeah, he so. he was committed here. Uh Jaden Epps was committed here. He's obviously at Georgetown now. Um, you know, Drew Fielder was committed here. He's at Georgetown currently. Right. Um, so you're gonna tell me all of a sudden now these guys who were committed to Providence, now they they can't play because they've turned and committed to Georgetown? No, absolutely not. Can't say that. No. You know, you can't can't have it both ways in, in that way. 
Um, but it, it is fascinating for so many reasons, that game, uh, which will tip Saturday at 1230 uh, on the Big Fox. Uh, Coit and I will both be there. Uh, tickets, you can get in the building for, I was on StubHub last night. You, you can get in the 200 to single for about 100 bucks. you know, a little over that. Interesting. Um, most that came seats, down. Yeah, that came it, down. It, uh, mm. Most of the seats in the lower bowl are, you know, over 200 you know, in the three, four, five hundred range. Um, you, know, you want to sit courtside, you're, you're talking into the thousands. Uh, those are the listed prices now. Whether or not they come down before Saturday morning, who knows? Um, yeah. But it's one of those that you, you feel fortunate that you have a media pass for. Uh, and, and it's one of those that you look forward to. It, it makes some of the other covers that you have. You know, I say to my buddy Chris Ursillo all the time, you know, in this job, I, I feel like I'm 90% stealing and 10% earning. Um, and Saturday will will fall firmly into the stealing category. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just it's so I'm fascinated. And then and again, it's not the game itself. I'm just I'm fascinated to see the the reaction from the crowd. Um, I thought so. Devin Carter had a uh, a Duncan event Thursday, and yep. Ian Steele talked to him. Um, and I thought Devin was really. He's really matured and and yeah. really professional. Handles himself so well. Um, part of that is his dad being in the NBA um, and and seeing that sort of business side of it. Uh-huh. Um, knowing it as a player now, as a coach, of course, and you know he's saying the right things about about Ed, and you know respects the fact that it was a business decision for Ed Cooley, and doesn't you know there's nothing. He took care of him as a coach there. So Devin, it's no hard feelings there. Um, but I think the thing that Devin said that was that was good was like, look, boo all you want. You know, fans are going to be emotional. They're going to have that reaction. Totally get that. Just keep it responsible. Don't don't throw anything. Don't do anything like that. Don't be stupid. Just boo the heck out of them. Tell them how you feel. But let's not go there. And I thought that was really responsible of the Friars leader to come out and say that like that, you know, that's just shows you what kind of person and player that Devin Carter is. Well, Devin's dad, Anthony played 13 years in the league and, uh, you know, he's been on NBA coaching staffs ever since. Um, so if you were going to, you're going to ask for a professional perspective from somebody on the Friars roster, that's certainly the guy to go to, um, and he understands that between the lines, this is forty minute game um, that's going to be decided by the coaches and the players, and not by what goes on in the stands. And, and if there's any motivation for the players, one, that's a guy that would have it, and two, yep. he's going to take it out on him in the game. Right. I mean, if if Ed's looking at this and and they're scouting this, they're looking at Devin and saying, "Good luck to us," especially with the way that his team played against Butler. Like that, that is a, that's been, I think the biggest struggle for Ed and his coaching staff is that they are used to recruiting kids. They may be recruiting very talented kids to come into their program right now, but are they recruiting the, the kid that they were getting at Providence that may not necessarily be top 25, top 50, but has that grit toughness thing that Ed's Providence teams, that was their hallmark. And Devin embodies that. Yeah. And so he's probably looking at that and saying, God, he's going to be all over us. And we need to be ready for it. 
and and Devin will take it out on them on the court for 40 minutes. He's going to. Yeah, the, the risk of a bad dad joke. They play defense with no D against Butler. Hey, now. I mean, really horrendous. 90-66 loss. Uh, one point in that game, Ed did something that he did in a game at Butler with Providence a couple of years ago. He left the team huddle during one of the timeouts. Um, went over, sat on the bench, and pretty much hoped that the players would sort it out. Uh, now, at the time, when Ed was at Providence, player-led team, Drew Fonts, Jared Bynum, Al Durham, and a few others said, no, no, not good enough. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Right now, Georgetown does not have the same character, the same culture uh, that those Friars teams did, certainly. And uh, they come in here at 1-7 in the Big East. Uh, that one win was against DePaul, who fired Tony Stubblefield this week. Uh, DePaul is the only thing keeping Georgetown out of the Big East basement. Um, so painful times on the floor for Ed Cooley. Certainly, uh, it would make his season if he was able to win this game, I would imagine. Um, you know, don't necessarily see that happening. But, uh, you know, you, you you can imagine what it would be like if if that did happen. Uh, the story would be a far different one Saturday around 4 o'clock. Um, if that was to happen, quite well, we'll touch on a, a couple other programs here before we wrap up. Uh, the Friars women had, had a really nice comeback win against Villanova on Wednesday night, uh, overtime at home game. They trailed by 15 points early. Um, they were able to gut it out against the Wildcats team that obviously graduated Maddie Segrist, who, who was one of the stars in the sport last year. Um, and now they're much closer to, to Providence. I mean, they were national power. With with C yeah, right. a couple of years. Right. Um, but for Providence to knock off Villanova, you know, not necessarily a team that that you would have seen them beating two or three years ago, certainly not with, with Seagrist healthy and and available. Um, another step forward for the Friars under Aaron Bath, four and four now in the Big East. Grace Afosa and, and Marta Morales Romero both had big nights in that game. Olivia Olson had another double double. You you can see that sort of tight core and, and what they can do when they all play well together. Providence, you know, non-UConn division, uh, maybe non-Marquette division currently in the league. Providence can be dangerous. Four and four. And you're right, dangerous. Do not do not sleep on them on a night. Do not sleep on them in, in a half because they will come at you. I think that is a reflection of Aaron's energy and how she has inserted that into this program with some of the players that have stuck around to, you know, build this thing up. And you can clearly see in a game like that, I mean, Grace Afosa had a heck of a night and she just, there's an aggressiveness to her. There's a confidence to her. And this was her fifth game back from injury. And I think it probably takes a few games before a player really is right. Feels that, that sense of like, all right, I'm good. And she definitely showed that in this game. Um, and I think Morales Romero has, you know, at times really flashed what she can do too. Um, Olivia Olson is just steady Eddie. She's going to do what she does and there's going to be nights where she steps forward too. But I was really impressed just to see the aggressiveness and the confidence that Grace Afosa had. And that really makes Providence even more dangerous. And I, I give the Friars credit for getting through the time where they didn't have her on the floor. Yeah. You know, when they lost her and Kylie Shepard, who were supposed to be, you know, big time, you know, parts to this program this year. 
But now that Grace is back, it makes them that much more. They got through that that time. They earned a few, you know, good wins there. And now, you know, on a given night, if they really get things rolling in the right direction, they can punch these teams in the mouth. And that's that's really impressive. And it's a credit to that staff in a first year here. Well, Grace is is just such a dynamic athlete and scorer. Um, you know, yeah. just a natural scorer, can do it from all three levels, can get herself to the basket. Has a good mid-range game. If you leave her open, she can make a three. Um, just another person who you really need to account for in your game plan. And, and Providence was short on those for for a little bit there. Um, you know, now you you put her with Morales Romero, who's really got a nice all-around game. She can make an open shot. She handles the ball quite a bit. Um, it's good. Yeah, she got size. she got the ball in the post when I was there at that game. I mean, she like yeah, a lot of different things. Yeah, decent size, you know, which makes her a factor in the paint if she wants to rebound or, or try to score there. And you know, she's got good feel. If if a teammate's open, she can find them with a pass. And and then Olsen, who, you know, I mean, we've talked about Olsen the last two years in this pod. Felt like you know she had great potential and, and could be a star there. And She's averaging a double double in the Big East, and and has really been a, a revelation this season. Um, you know, isn't just doing it some nights; she's doing it every night now. Uh, you know, that's the next step for any talented player. It's that sort of high level consistency, and and she has found it here. Um, terrific player, a big fan of, of Olivia's game, and and have told her as Same. much. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that she is a pod favorite. Um, you know, just. Really good. Somebody who you can build around. Um, you know, so Providence back to four and four in the Big East. Um, the URI women had a a, a nice bounce back road win uh, Wednesday morning at LaSalle. Um, you know that was after a a home defeat against St. Joe's. Um, and realistically, Coy, if you're looking at the URI women, uh, it, it's been about an at large bid for for a little while now. Um, but I also think now it's it's even more about the A10 tournament because they are going to surrender their regular season title here. Um, you know the math is is working against them at five and three as we come up on the midseason. Um, I don't necessarily know if I see any of the top teams in the league losing three games, and and I don't necessarily know if I see you or I winning out at, at this point. Um, Great bounce-back performance against the Explorers. Really important to get Anel Dutat back. She had missed the previous four games due to NCAA compliance issues, um, you know, and that was obviously a, a big hindrance to URI in some of those games. Uh, you know, you lose St. Joe's, you lose at Richmond. Uh, you wonder what those outcomes would have been if you had her available. Um, you know, but this is a team that, you know, needs to spend the next month or so as you get into February, find yourself and try to find some consistency as you go to the A-10 tournament. You still have enough talent to win it but you need to be playing well going into it to give yourself a chance to win. Yeah, this is, it's an interesting, this is an interesting team um, and, and season so far because it's, it's been up and down. I think last year was pretty, the, the arrow pointed up the whole year. Yep. It seemed like there was a lot of bumps in the road mm. and this year there's been a lot of bumps in the road. And I wonder what that does for a team when it gets to March. That's the fascinating thing with this team. You know, they'll go through the regular season here. They'll go through the conference schedule, and I'm sure they'll have some wins, some losses. But when they get to March, what will this team look like? What will they, what level will it go to? Um, Because sometimes, you know, last year they win a ton of games and they share the regular season title and all that. 
but it's about how you do in March. It's about how you do in March. And if this team can take its punches and turn it into something in March, they, 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 this team is capable of doing that. That's what I'm trying to say is that this team is definitely capable of doing that. Maybe it doesn't grab the regular season title this year, but maybe it finally grabs the tournament title because of all the, the hits that it took. And maybe it does get to the NCAA tournament, even though its record might not be as good as last year's. Um, the keys to that, I think we're seeing it. Uh, Dutat is crucial for them. Yeah. Crucial. Yeah. I mean, it 11 offensive rebounds. Like, whoa. And and I would say having Ten Magasa right and on the floor and giving you big minutes is huge too. Yep. Those two, I mean, made a huge difference in this past game and this win at LaSalle. And I think they'll be a, a huge difference maker going forward. Not only on the defensive end and grabbing boards too, but on the offensive end, not only grabbing O boards, but really this team's weakness is is clear. It's the three-point shooting. Yep. They have Sophie Phillips, and beyond that, they've struggled. Right, They've struggled to do it consistently. Tisha Hyman, every once in a while, will get it going. D.D. Davis will get it going once in a while. But teams know it. They know it. And so having those players in the paint, giving you extra chances, and then even giving you some easy baskets you know, near the hoop, I think is is going to be crucial going forward. But I I just I I am so fascinated to see where this team and this season ends up because the ceiling for this team is still there. It's just going to have to take a different path and maybe one that you know maybe just disappointed that they didn't they couldn't put together an at large resume. But you know sometimes it's just that's the way it goes and you know this team has clearly had a lot of growing pains. Team I look at as a comparison for them, the St. Louis men in 2018-19. Nice. Team that people thought could be an at-large bid contender. Came into the year, didn't really do a ton of work in the non-conference. Started 5-0 in the A-10, finished 10-8 in the league, and won four straight games in Brooklyn, won the A-10 tournament. Um, Team that had veterans, was well-rounded, didn't seem like they had a weakness going into the season. Fell flat on their faces leading into March, and then all of a sudden just turned it around and started winning at Barclays. Richmond had them beat in the second half of their first game, clawed off the deck to beat Richmond, and all of a sudden just got on a run and ended up in the NCAA tournament. Um, URI has the talent to do that. Yeah. Uh, will it come together like that? We'll see. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, but- and it can really, it can really help itself mm-hmm. by getting up into the top four, top six, whatever it is yeah. in the league. That's that's the part of the regular season where you can take your hits, but you can't take too many hits because you take too many hits, then you put yourself really behind. You'll want that double buy for sure. Yep. Four, yep. four games in, in five days is is still difficult, right? They, they they do the buy day like the men's do, right? Before uh, the semifinals. Double, I will double check that. I'm literally on the A-10 page right now because I was peeking at the standings and what it looks like so far. Uh, Friday, one, four, two, three. Yep. So Thursday and would be the the day off, potentially. So it's uh, for the women's this year, it's I don't think there is a day off. Oh, they don't have one. 
They don't have one. No, the men's do. The women's don't. They start Wednesday and they play right through. Because the men finish on Sunday. Right. Want, so you could TV slot. If you don't finish in that top four and you slip down to the, you know, somewhere between five and nine, you're playing Thursday. So and then that's the extra game. Four and four days. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Hard to do. Difficult. It, yep. it is. It's hard to win four games in four days. Um, yep. The URI men, Coit, uh, you know, I think we'll hit on them next and, and potentially last here. Uh, Wednesday night, I was in Kingston, 71-68 Fordham. Um, game that was on the table for the URI men. Um, you know, they had a good lead at the end of the first half. They they squandered a couple points in the halftime. They fell behind midway through the second half, made a big run, jumped ahead. Uh, but I would say, Coit, that this team, the the way that they're trying to grow this and and some of the growing pains that they're going through, it's just the simple mistakes that dog this team. You know, miss free throws, turnovers at inopportune times, a couple defensive rebounds that you would have liked to see them get that they didn't, uh, a couple defensive stops that they really needed and, and didn't get. Um, it's the little things. It's the little things that allow you to win in college basketball. They're just not quite as buttoned up right now as they need to be. And you know, when you play a game like that against Fordham and it's back and forth and it's down to the end and you really need a couple possessions to go your way, where you tend to get exposed, and ultimately they did. This team just doesn't know how to win. Yeah. They don't know how to win, win. Put it is. That's that's something that teams and groups need to learn. They do. It's it it can be really difficult. Um, it can look really difficult, like the end of that game, and the chances that Fordham gave URI. I mean, you miss miss a free throw and it goes off of David Fuchs and goes out of bounds, had a chance at a board. You get a missed free throw and miscommunication and David Green throws the ball away. Like it, it's those sorts of things are a sign of a team that is really trying to learn how to win. And that's quite simply something that they're going to have to learn at, at some point. And when that clicks, when that happens, we don't know. Seemed like they were kind of progressing in that direction to start a 10 play, but they've kind of regressed now. Um, rough week last week, and then coming home and just having some of those mishaps late in the game. Um, but coaching staff will continue to work with this group to try to find those things and try to get it to stick and click. Um, you know, so they'll continue to go through those growing pains. Yeah, and, it, and it's the missed opportunities earlier in a game to, to give yourself a little wider margin. They make a nice run. They keep Fordham scoreless for about seven and a half minutes. Um, they take a three-point lead. And after that, you miss the front end of a one-and-one. One. David Fuchs, who, who had a great night, his final line is tremendous. 17 boards in the game, double-double. Uh, I mean, he was a monster inside. Uh, and it's unfortunate that you, you go back to a couple nitpicks here. but Yeah, right. You know, the, these are the things that, that separate games, and, and you need to talk about them. I'm sure the coaching staff will talk about them. Totally. Um, he missed the front end of a one-and-one. One. Jeremy Femina, who was really good in the second half, a major factor uh, in the comeback and in them being in the game. He hits a three-pointer late in the game that ties the game at 64. He misses two free throws. Jaden House has a killer turnover trying to force a pass inside. All of a sudden, you go from 54-51 up to 58-54 down. 
in the span of three minutes. And, you know, Archie Miller talked about that post game. He said, that's a spot where we need to be up two or three possessions. And we had the chance to be, if we're up eight or nine coming out of that, we don't allow that seven Oh run. We don't give them the chance to respond the way they do. Then the last minute or two don't play out like that. We right. might have the lead. We might react differently. Fordham has to react differently. Maybe we have the chance to put it away instead of trying to chase it at the end. Um, you know, and ultimately you just, you make some mistakes at the end, obviously miss free throws. Um, David Green's turnover with, with two seconds left, uh, a defensive board where he picks up his dribble, tries to make an outlet pass. Both guys are covered and ends up throwing the ball out of bounds. It's just, you know, situational awareness at that point, things that you work situational. on. Things that you work on in practice, but then you put them in a game and it's live and you're like, oh, uh-oh. And you just freeze up in that one second, you, know, you lose your chance to to have a chance to win the game. Um, yeah, and that's what your eyes battling right now. We've seen the good out of them. Uh, we saw them start 3-0 and in the league. We saw them win road games in the league. Uh, you have two brutal trips to St. Bonaventure and Dayton. Uh, Olean is, is one of the toughest places to go in the league, and Dayton obviously is in the top 25 right now. It's a nice homecoming for Archie Miller, um, certainly a place where he did really well, um, and they gave him a very nice ovation pregame. <laughs> and then their team proceeded to kick his tail for 40 minutes because they are really, really good, Coy. Really good. Really good. And, you know, a sign of a another program that that is, you know, the foundation was was laid consistently, um, you know, and it's continued on here. They've been able to. I, it's different, though, with Dayton because they they just there's certain types of players that they recruit that come in there that just keep things going. And, you know, I, I think they've obviously invested in their you know, program itself, facilities, support, all that. Um, we talked about this a little bit, I think, on the podcast last week. But, um, yeah, that's it's really impressive in a league like the A-10 to see that consistent uh, success and that team always being there. But Dayton just does it right, um, you know. And so that's that's where Archie's trying to get this program again. I think he's pushed URI to invest more. Mm-hmm. I think URI has invested more. Mm-hmm. See practice facility, see investment in coach, um, those sorts of things. See the investment overall in athletics yeah. that the state is going in and pledging to URI. Yeah. So, you know, that effect is is huge. And, you know, as that continues to progress, you know, they'll continue to try to get better players, you know, into the into the program and um, you know, be able to build up teams that you know, we'll be playing in March. So, you know, that's what Archie's trying to build. And just interesting to see it from the other side. I'm sure. All it takes now is time. <laughs> and that's yeah, easy right. to say, of course, because right. nobody wants to give anyone time, uh, you know, but yeah, that's where they're at right now. Uh, unfortunately for, for Rams fans, uh, we, we certainly wish it was different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of fun to cover a winner. It's a lot of fun to cover teams who go to the NCAA tournament. We'd much rather do that. I, I've said that I don't know how many times, um, but I will say it again here for anyone who thinks otherwise. Um, it's hard. Is- it's hard. Yeah, but but you've got you've got good players this year that you've brought in. You've got your own group that you like that you see the talent in in these guys that they brought in, and now it's just about coming together as a group and and learning and going through these growing pains. I it was eerie to hear 
eerie, but it, interesting to hear Archie say the words pain and, and progress. Mm. I think in, in his, in his talking about this team recently. And um, I heard similar words from Brad Stevens after the Celtics, the young Celtics lost in the Eastern conference final. I believe it was the year that they took the Cavaliers to seven. I think it was oh. Tatum's rookie. I think it was Tatum's rookie year when he Game, dunked on LeBron. Game seven in Boston, right? Game seven in Boston. And I oh. think it was right after that Brad's in the post game. And he said, his quote was pain is part of the path. And I think Archie's group is experiencing this right now. Um, but again, they've they've got some some good players that they've brought in here, and you know, again, part of that is the investment and all that we just talked about. So, you know, they'll at some point it'll click. You just don't know when. I think Terry Rozier just missed another three pointer from that night. <laughs> I mean, talk about scary Terry. It took on a different meaning in that game. Oh my goodness, he was brutal. But what I mean, what a that effort from that team was. I mean, they maxed out with what that team was in the, in the postseason to get to game seven in that postseason was, Oh my goodness. They, they lost, you know, their best players weren't on the floor that they had signed in the off season. It's wild. Expect, expectations are a funny thing. Coy. We, we, you know, we have these, we have these discussions about these programs on this podcast and they're all framed by what the preseason was and, and what the coaches were saying early. It's all framed on that messaging. Um, right. You know, a lot of times you look at a team and you think, can they contend this year and the coach will tell you we're a year away or, you know, they'll be voted in the bottom half of the conference and you'll think, okay, you know, this team is going to play a certain way. If you're voted to win the league and the coach says, yes, you know, we think we're going to be really good and whatever else you cover that accordingly as well. Um, yeah. It's a surprise when a team overachieves. It's a disappointment when a team underachieves. Is that fair or unfair? Who knows? But that's how you frame it. Um yeah, that's ultimately how you do it, and and that influences our opinions uh, in in certain ways, and you know a lot of that comes directly from the coaching staffs. Hey, we expect to be good, or hey, you know we're still building this thing. Who knows? You know, maybe a year from now we'll we'll be really good, but it's not going to be right now. Um, yeah, that's not to say that that you or I or Providence or Brown or Bryant don't want to win every single game and don't think that they can and don't believe in their kids a certain way because they all do. Um, of course, you know, but professionally. They're wise enough, knowledgeable enough, realistic enough to to share with us how they really feel and how challenging it will be to get to a point where they are good. Yeah. Um, you know, and so the discussions about Providence women and the URI women are, are different. You know, discussions about the Providence men and the URI men, they are different in that mm -hmm. way. Um, the Bryant men and the, and the Bryant women, different. You know, the mm -hmm. brown men and the brown women, different. Um. And all that is based on where you thought they might be coming into the yep. year. Yep. Uh, Coit, so with that, we will wrap up uh, this edition of the pod. Uh, I thank you as always. You got anything else? No, just a nod, I think. A nod to the hottest team in the state. That would be the Bryant men uh, <laughs> who have a chance, as we're recording this, to go 5-0 and in America East play. And that would be with four road wins. I'll just say they have really they've been impressive with the way that the group came together early. They've continued that consistently. Um and you know, this team has a shot in that league. This team has a shot. And particularly, again, the four road wins. That's huge. That means four other teams are going to have to come to your place and try to beat you there. I mean, that is that's a nice feather in the cap. Phil and his staff have done 
excellent work, and I'm I'm fascinated to see where they end up too. They're getting ready to tip Thursday night at NJIT. If they win that game, they will host Vermont for a spot atop America East on Saturday. That's a 4 p.m. tip at the Chase out in Smithfield. If you can't get tickets downtown, or if you're inclined to make it a doubleheader for your Saturday, get your butts out to Smithfield and watch Bryant Vermont. It should be really interesting. Out good there. one. It's going to be a good one. I think Eric mm-hmm. Rube's going to be there for us. I, I would imagine he will be. That's a short drive oh. for him from his foster estate. Electric City. And he's going to stop. What's that pizza place he likes that he wanted? Kuzos. Kuzos. Kuzos, that's right. Kuzos and Situate. Yep, we'll give mm. we'll give Kuzos some love. Of course, when I go to the chase, it's Jay's Deli or nothing for me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's that's the deal. Or Panera drive through That's always easy on my way back to the station. Panera, I do, but when I'm... I'm gonna go all the way out there. I'm gonna go to Jay's. It's it's yeah, no, that's true. Amen. Yeah, it's nothing better. No. Uh Coy, thanks as always for everybody else. Thank you for listening and enjoy the weekend. Should be an interesting one. Thanks again.